If you would please open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12, Exodus chapter 12, and we will be picking back up where we left off last week as we continue verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. Now one of the most important chapters in all of the Old Testament is this chapter, chapter 12. We will see the instruction of the Passover, which brings two key, or brings to light two key understandings through this passage. One is the need for man's salvation. For man that has a need for to be delivered from their sin, from captivity, from bondage. The second is that God's provision for salvation. That God has made a way, God's provision for our deliverance is by and through his son, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the Passover speaks to that and to include, as we will see, also communion speaks to that as well. But we must be delivered. There must be a redemption. There must be a payment of of. of of freeing, of an act of freeing someone that needs to be redeemed from slavery. And so we will see in the scripture today a key word, the word lamb. We will see a lamb. We will see the lamb. Then we will see your lamb. And that correlates to what we see in the New Testament where we see a savior, the savior, but is it my savior? And we will see that connection with Jesus Christ all the way through this chapter, chapter 12, as you take notes. Because today we will see the 10th plague, the 10th judgment that will come upon the Egyptians, and it will be the new beginning for the Israelite people. God's people will be freed from their bondage, and it is a foreshadow or a picture of Jesus and what he will do for the people of this world. The Son of God, the Lamb of God, who will come to shed his blood on the cross, taking away the sin of the world, redeeming the world, and making a way for the forgiveness of our sin. Setting us free from our bondage of our sin for those who choose to believe in Jesus Christ. Being born again by the love and the grace of God. And we will see this connection throughout this chapter in God's final plague, or what we refer to, or we're calling today's message, the Passover. Now, the God's final plague does two things. It delivers his people from Egypt, and not only delivers the people from Egypt, but as he sends them out as free people, they're loaded down with the Egyptian riches, if you remember. God is just going to make sure there's favor and God's provision on his people. As he sets them free, he will provide for them. And it establishes the Passover as one of the most widely observed Jewish festivals and becomes the foreshadow of the redemption or the act of saving Christ's work on that cross for all of mankind. Jesus came to redeem all mankind, to the act of saving by going to the cross. Now here in Exodus chapter 12, verse 1, we see that now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. 
It shall be the first month of the year to you. So with the coming of the freeing of his people, the coming deliverance of, uh, of his people from Egypt is so, so significant that the Lord tells Moses and Aaron and lets them know that this is a new beginning. I'm going to establish the, a new year. Remember, there was a civil calendar and then there was a religious calendar. The religious calendar would be reset. The civil calendar is, starts for Israel would, is September, October time frame. But the new set date for the religious calendar will be March, April. We call it Nisan, or the original word was Abib. That was the name of that month, and that was going to be a sign to them that God is starting something new with the nation that he's created. He's going to bring them out of slavery, taking them to the promised land, and that was going to be the new beginning. Their old life, though how they lived in Egypt, was to be the past. And it was never to be brought with them into the new beginning, into the new year, into this new month. It was supposed to be the past. And they were not to bring anything with it. And it's true for us as well, is it not? When we're set free and we've been forgiven of our sins, we are to let go of the past, and the past is the past. And we are not to bring the past into the future of what the new beginnings of a life with Christ is to bring us. Right into the future home of what? Being in the hands of, in the arms of God in heaven. But too many times people bring the desire of their past. They still bring the past into the future and the new beginnings. And we will find as we continue in the book of Exodus what happens to the people. I kind of like back in the Egypt. What about the food? We'll get to those parts of the scripture. But they too were trying to bring the past, get something of the past they think was so good. But... They were in slavery and they forget that. But this new beginning, this new history that God has established in, and it will be the most important event in the Old Testament. Now when you choose Christ, when you've been redeemed by Christ, we see in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. In verse 3, he says, Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth day of this month, every man shall take, a, take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for the household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his, his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. So as we take a look here, we see this is that he says, he's telling the Lord, is telling Moses and Aaron to speak to the congregation of Israel. Now here, the congregation of Israel is the very first occurrence in the Pentateuch where we see of what was referred to or the technical term of this religious sense of a nation has been established. The deliverance of Israel. It's this, this, this new unity of the nation of Israel is going to be now moving out and starting something new. And as we take a look at this, we see that they're to go out and look at a lamb. Now, the original Hebrew language for that word lamb right there means it could be a small lamb or a small goat. But they were to go out and they were to look for that, that lamb 
and they were supposed to choose out of a lamb to be the lamb that they would sacrifice in that house that God is ready to do. Right? So they looked at all the lambs, a lamb, and they picked the lamb, and they were to take the lamb, and they were to take it in their household. And if their household, that lamb was big enough, they were to look to their neighbors, and if their neighbors were only a couple of people, a young couple, they were to bring them into their household and share in this meal and share this lamb. And so they were to bring them in according to the numbers of the persons, according to the size of that lamb that they have. And it was to bring it in, and it was going to be uh, to, uh, to feed during this Passover, or we refer to as each of this Passover lamb. Now, later on in history, we see that rabbis declared any time a household would do Passover, there should be somewhere between 10 to 20 people doing Passover in that, that family or in that household. Because remember, as you look at Passover, notice there is no temple involved here. There is no meeting of the tents. There is no altar. There is no priest. It is a, it is a festival or it's a ceremony. It's an occasion. It's a memorial. It's something they do within the family or family or next door families with the next door neighbor. And keep that in mind as we take a look at this, how God has set this up. Now, keep also note that this progression that we're seeing here, a lamb to the lamb, we see the same with Jesus. Jesus is a lamb, but he's more than just a lamb. He's not just a great teacher. He's not just a great master or just a, a great leader. No, he is the lamb. Yeah, he's more than that as well. Because he's more than that for, to, to be your savior. He must be your lamb. And that's why in verse 5, God continues to say, Your lamb should be without blemish, a male of the first year. So they went, looked at the lamb, they got the lamb, and they made it your lamb. They made it their family lamb. It was this, who do we, who, who, who is who is the, the, that lamb going to be for us, for our family, that we will consume, that we'll take into us? And so we see that there's some criteria of that lamb. It must be without blemish and a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. So the instructions here is when you pick this lamb out and it becomes your lamb on the 10th day of that month, you're to keep it in your house until the 14th day. So for four days, that lamb uh, was right there in the household. Move it, getting it out of the way for four days, you're watching this lamb and it becomes part of the family. The kids are starting to name the lamb. You know, it's, it becomes one of those moments and uh, and. It, you're observing this lamb, and that's why it was designed this way by God. Is they want to observe this lamb to make sure what? It's blemish free. It meets the criteria and it becomes personalized. You, get, you grow attached to the lamb because it will become a sacrifice on the 14th day, the day of Passover. Now keep note. 
keep this in mind as you're going through this, as we're talking about this, because as we look at this, and this lamb becomes part of the family, by the time it's sacrificed, they have cherished it, They've, they're going to be mourning for the lamb that will be slain, that, that will be sacrificed in their house. And God wanted that sacrifice to be precious in the sight of the people of that family that was ready to partake. It had to be something personal. It had to be something of, of a loss. And that lamb was to be selected and it was to be observed and to watch to make sure it's not diseased or blemished in any way. Make note of this. Remember that on the 10th of the month of Nisan, A.D. 32, Jesus went into Jerusalem during that final week, if you remember. And during that period of time, for the following four days, what happened to Jesus when he was in Jerusalem? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, his enemies did what? They observed him and they were looking for any possible sin, blemish, anything that they could get on Jesus during that four-day period. Theologically, they tried to find him. To, they had a critical spirit. They were looking for anything they could, or whatever he was going to say, to try to catch them with their critical spirit to find something in his theology they could go against him. Or his ethical standards. They tested him ethically, didn't they? Any possible way, that critical spirit of the Pharisees, those religious leaders and enemies, were trying to test to see if they could find anything wrong with Jesus during those four days of period of time. Jesus was our lamb without blemish, without sin. How do we know that? Well, let me give you some reminders. Do you remember Pontius Pilate himself as he nervously washed his hands what did he say? I find no fault in him. Even the thief, one of the thieves on the cross, was sitting there on the cross himself observing, and he says he's done nothing wrong. How about the Roman centurion who was the one actually crucifying our Lord? What did he say? Truly this must be the Son of God. about Judas himself in despair came to the conclusion I betrayed an innocent blood even Peter in 1 Peter 1.19 he says but, was, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot Jesus truly indeed was the perfect lamb without blemish verse 7 we are now going to see God giving instructions on how to eat this Passover. Notice here in verse 7. And they, say, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lentil of the houses where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs, and they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw, nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire its head with its legs and its entrails, and you shall let none of it remain until morning. And what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. So before the lamb could be eaten, they had to take 
the blood of that sacrificed lamb and they were to apply it to the due doorposts and on the lentil of the house. So they had to put them on the two sides and along the top. And as they did this, they were to roast this lamb and they were, oh, good barbecue, right? They had to roast this lamb and but they could not, and they probably even didn't have something big enough to boil it in the first place. But even if they did, they couldn't do it. They couldn't eat it raw, and they couldn't boil it. They had to roast the entire lamb as is. Now, that instructions was there, and one of the key things is that as you're eating and you're going through the night and you're eating it, if there's any leftover whatsoever, any flesh, it had to be completely burned and consumed. Nothing could be left over. And so these instructions were very critical or very important because not only did they roast this lamb, but they were to eat the unleavened bread with the bitter herbs that were, they had and provided for them during this period of time. And that is what they're to eat. The Passover lamb had to be eaten completely. A family had to be totally consuming of that sacrifice because the flesh could not see corruption. So too... When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't say, yeah, just take part of me and you can come back later and get some more of me later. Or he didn't come there and say, to be continued um, on the cross, I'll come back and I'll do a little bit more sacrificing level later. No, he said, is finished. Everything that needed to be done is finished by his sacrifice. There's nothing left to be accomplished. The work is complete. John 6, 66, uh, Jesus said, If you do not eat of my body, you have no life in you. And what happened when he said that you had to give your entire life to me? Consume all of what I have given you or to give you, and you have to consume all of me. What did they do? Many of the followers did what? They left. Why? Because they only wanted certain parts of what Jesus was offering. The food when they were hungry. The healing when they got sick. Maybe provisions here and provisions there. But when he said you must sacrifice, you must give your entire life to me. And let me be your Lord and Savior. They were expecting him to be king and take and overthrow the Roman, Romans. And so that they could be part of his inner circle to, run, to rule the, the nation. But once they found out that that was not the plan at that moment, and they said, no, we don't want anything to do with this. You're, you're crazy. And they left them. But we know on this side of the resurrection, we know the full story. We understand that we have to absorb, to assimilate Jesus into our lives, to allow him to rule and to reign within our lives completely. That's what the principle of the Passover is. That's what the principle of communion is, is that we recognize we want all of Jesus to reign and rule in our lives on every aspect of our life, not just what we're willing to give up. In verse 11, And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist and your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Notice it didn't say it's the Jewish Passover. It says it's the Lord's Passover. Did you notice that? But notice here, as they're doing their preparations, they're getting ready to eat, 
they're to be, you're not supposed to be sitting back in your lounge chair and with your sweats on and, and cozy in your little slippers. You better be ready to move. Because after this meal, you're going to be going. You better have those sandals and that belt uh, around your waist and your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. Like you're going and ready to move because God was about to move. That's why it was unleavened bread. Because it, he, God did not give them an opportunity to allow any leaven, any yeast to take an effect and to puff up or to do anything. It had to be unleavened. It had to be flat because they were going to eat it before. They did not have time for, for this to bread to raise. But all of this required faith, did it not? The Passover land had to be eaten in faith. Trusting that the deliverance promised to Israel was present and that they would walk in that deliverance immediately. Because they didn't understand it all. Remember, they're just, getting, they're just being told what to do. That the Lord told us to tell you this. This is what the word of God said. And they did it by obedience and by faith. They didn't understand. What do you mean blood on the doorpost? They never had to do that before. What do you mean we had to bring and do it, have you know, sacrifice this lamb and then we had to stay in this house and be protected in this house? We couldn't go out. What does this all mean to us? But they did it. Why? Because they did it by faith because that's what the Lord said. We see in Hebrews eleven twenty eight. 28, it says, By faith he, Moses, kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them as well. But it's the Lord's Passover. The Passover was the Lord's in the sense that he is who provided this way of deliverance. This way of being set free from bondage. It's, it's inspired even by the Holy Spirit to Paul when he says, Paul says, For indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us, 1 Corinthians 5-7. Remember John the Baptist. John the Baptist drew in that same similar picture when he says, there's Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John 1.29. And it seems that Jesus is actually crucified on Passover. And we see that in John 19.14. We see truly that Jesus is the Passover. Verse 12. For for I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, and I will execute judgment. Why? Because I am the Lord. Who can do that? Who thinks there... That could come here and bring judgment where you would take the firstborn of uh, the animal and of, of, of humans and, and, and wipe out all these false gods. Who, who, can, who, who do they think he is? I am the Lord. Who does God think he is to be able to tell me that I have to get rid of this in my life? Or I have to do this? Or I have to go here? Or I have to stop doing that. He says to you and I today, I am the Lord. I am your Lord. That's why I'm asking you to do it. Verse 13, now the blood shall be a sign for you 
on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when the, I strike the land of Egypt. So we see here this tenth plague, this, this judgment of the firstborn. That they had to apply the blood just as God said they should do. The blood of the lamb was the essential element to what God required for to be set free. To be able to, to be delivered from bondage. God moved through Egypt that night, striking down every firstborn, whether it was human or if it was animal, unless the door frame was covered. Every firstborn where, we, where he passed over would spare the inhabitants. Those who were in the house, he would spare. But if they were, did not apply the blood or they didn't stay in that house to stay where God said to be, then there was no protection and there would be death upon the firstborn. But notice, God did not save people because they were Jewish. He saved them because they were obedient to his word. Also, he did not condemn the people because they were Egyptians. They were condemned because they did not do what the Lord said. And anyone who was inside a house marked with the lamb's blood would be spared judgment and any firstborn who was outside or unmarked house that night would die. It didn't even help someone who actually heard the word of God, the Lord say these, and intellectually under, maybe understood it, but they did not do it, they would die. You must understand, but you also must do what God says. They actually, the people here actually had to do what God said and it must be done with the blood according to his way of doing it. Now remember, they didn't fully understand the way of God of deliverance at this point in time. They did not know all the details of why he wanted them to do it or who was going to do it or how the Savior was or the, the destroyer was coming in or not. They didn't know any of these little details. All they knew is by faith they needed to believe and to obey what was told. Now we see the institution of the Passover and the unleavened bread of feasts here in verse 14. So this day shall be to you a memorial. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an, un, by an everlasting ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread and on the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation. And on the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation for you. No matter of, of work shall be done on them, but that which everyone must eat that only may be prepared by you. So we see, tenth day they found the lamb. It became their lamb, our lamb. 
And we watched it for four days, and it was sacrificed on Passover. And on that day, it started another festival for the next seven days of, of unleavened bread, where they had to eat unleavened bread for those seven days to show a sign of, I'm going to live a pure life. I'm not going to allow <clears throat> the sin in my life to dominate me. I'm not going to allow pride in my life to continue to puff me up. I'm going to keep an unleavened bread. I'm going to keep a pure life the next seven days to make a stance for my Lord. And so he established this for the nation of Israel here. And so when the Passover began on the 10th and on the 14th, the 8th of Passover, this was when that first day of unleavened bread was kicking in here for the next seven days. Notice in verse 17, So you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this same day I will have brought your enemies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. So this wasn't just for them at that moment. This was to go for generation upon generation as an ordinance, as an observation. It's something that they must keep within that nation of Israel. And in the first month, on the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21, 21st day of the month at evening. So again, this was not a, I don't feel like it moment. Well, I can pick and choose when I feel like I'll, I'll, I'll do it. If I don't feel like it, I won't do it. No, that's not called Christianity at this moment. Uh, <laughs> what we're talking about, God said, and they must do, and they did. And they observed it, and they continue to even to observe it uh, for many today. And for seven days, no leaven shall be found in your house. Since whoever eats what is leavened, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a stranger or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwellings. You shall eat unleavened bread. So you can see why they did not question and didn't go based on their feelings if they feel like doing something for God or not. They actually did it because they recognized there was a consequence if they didn't keep leaven out of their house, keep the yeast out of their house is a symbol, a symbol of sin out of their house, they would be cut off from the congregation of Israel, meaning they couldn't fellowship with the people. They had to be, they were, you can't come in fellowship. You've got sin. You've got leaven in your, in your house. <laughs> Can you imagine today? I come in, someone in, the elders come and inspect your house and find your, your floors are dirty and there's some, there's some yeast sitting on the floor from the last time you made bread. I'm sorry, you can't come to church. Can you imagine? But that's exactly what happened. When it comes to this time, they would go in and they clean their house from top to bottom, every cupboard, everything. They would sweep out. Everything was spotless. Because why? Because they loved their Lord who saved and they were going to keep that ordinance and they were going to make sure that they were not cut off from the fellowship of their brothers and sisters. It was that important. Fellowship was that important to them. It should be still today. Fellowships be, should be so important to you that you want nothing hindering you from coming and sitting and hearing the word of God, fellowshipping with your brothers and sisters, and to be able to serve and to give to the Lord.
There should be nothing. No feelings. No, nothing in your life you're, you're ashamed of. Because that how, that's how enemy works. You, you get caught up into something and you feel so ashamed that there's condemnation that comes down upon you by the enemy. And so what does that do? It stops you from coming. Even though this is the place you should be coming. <laughs> to sit and hear from your Lord. And to be cleansed by his word. But as people grow and mature in with their Lord, they overcome those things. And they continue to show up regardless of how they feel. Verse 21. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, in the, yeah, in the, that is in the basin, and strike the intel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of this, his house until morning. So God gave Moses and Aaron instructions. Now we see Moses giving out the instructions to the elders who will then go out and communicate to all the people. And again, very clear on the process here. And he adds a little here in verse 22 that you shall take a bunch of hyssop. Uh, this, this dry kind of uh, loose brush, kind of like a you know big you know, it could be a paintbrush in this case, and you take this hyssop, and you put it and dip it in the basin that has the blood in it, and then you would put it on the two doorposts and, and across the lintel on top. Now, why is that important? I, I highlight because here the hyssop is important in the scriptures because where else do we see that happening? That this hyssop would be applied and be so significant because the blood is so significant in regards to the the cleansing or the protection or the purging uh, that we see here uh, in the scripture. We see it in Leviticus chapter 14 verse 6. We see hyssop is used in the ceremony of cleansing of a leper uh, uh, by applying the blood and cleansing that leper and hyssop is used in that situation. The second time we see is Numbers chapter 19 verses 6 and 18. Hyssop was used to make the ashes of a red heifer for the water of purification. Again, cleansing and, 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 and purification. David, in his great Psalm, Psalm 51, 7, he uses his purge me with hyssop I, and I shall be clean. He'll be purified. He'll be cleansed. Hyssop is always connected in the scripture with purification through sacrifice. And that is why it's important we see it here in Passover. One more time do we see hyssop. And when is that? We see it in John chapter 19 verse 29. You remember Jesus was on the cross. And they were trying to say that. And they said, oh, we probably need to wet his lips and get him to say. What was he saying? And they took that sponge and they put it in what? That sour wine that was on hyssop and he tried to give it to Jesus and Jesus refused that, that um, uh, wine to kind of dull, somewhat deaden the, the pain that he was going to go through but Jesus refused it. Remember it was on hyssop which is Jesus' sacrifice. You see the connection. 
Verse 23, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lentil and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. Now we see even a little more description of what will take place if you do not put that blood on the doorpost and if you don't stay in there because this is what's going to happen. The Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into the house and take that firstborn. So this is absolutely critical for your life and for your firstborn life, but for your family life, you must be obedient. The Passover was all about the blood, the sacrifice that had to be done. It was provided a substitute for the life required by the plague of the death. Remember, the tenth plague required death. It required the firstborn's life. And the only way that life could be delivered or spared is by the blood of the sacrifice. And there was no other way. There is no other way. The blood of the lamb set the slaves free and it still sets us free today. No wonder here in verse 24, God tells us here that you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. And it will come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give you just as he promised. That you shall keep this service. And it shall be when your children say to you, Dad, this is ridiculous. What are we doing this for? Mom, not again. Are you sure we have to do this? When your children ask that crazy question, why are my parents doing this old-fashioned thing? Right? That's what it's saying. When When the children say to you, what do you mean by this service? I wish our children would talk like that. Mom, Dad, why do we do this service? Wouldn't that be nice if they talked like that even? They're going to be disobedient. At least talk like that, right? That you shall say, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt and when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the deliverance of Passover was not only for them, but it was all for their, also for their children and their children's children and their children. It's for all the generations that were to follow. Passover was the greatest work of redemption right there. And they had to pass it on to them generation upon generation upon generation. Uh, because it will lead them to where? The Messiah to the cross. And it's the same way Jesus gave the new Passover, saying that his work on the cross was not only for that generation who witnessed him on the cross, but it should be remembered and applied to all generations. Luke 22, verses 14 through 20. So when your kids say, Mom and Dad, why do we have to go to church? Why is that important? You turn to your children and you say, we don't have to go to church. We desire to go to church. We don't have to. We want to. Why? Because God wants to speak to you and to me through his word and through the fellowship of believers. Because his word says, do not forsake the fellowship. That is why we go. We want to hear from the Lord. That is why we go, son. 
We want to be used by God in the lives of other people to encourage them in their walk. That is why we do a daughter. Not because you have to, it's because you desire to. Because you remember the day of your salvation when you were set free from the slavery of the bondage of your sin. Are you connecting these? Say amen. Say, are you, are you connecting this? I hope it's not thumping you in the chest too hard today. I'm trying to keep it as light as possible here. No cardiac, cardiac thumps here. Cardio converting any of you. But if it does change your heart, I hope God is cardio converting your heart. And that you will give your life to Jesus if you haven't already. Let today be the day of salvation for you. Maybe it's a day of recommitment. That today for me and my house, we will what? Serve the Lord. Amen, I'll say that. In Passover, there was a twofold work here. If you notice here, that first, an enemy must be defeated. And God had to defeat and strike down the Egyptians. And second, God's people were set free and given a new identity with new purpose, a new with promises, and a new walk, and a new life together. We see they do it together because it's they delivered our households. And the end of verse 27, so the people bowed their heads and worshipped. When you realize that God has delivered, the rightful thing to do is what? is to him with humility that's bowing the head but a form of humility that's the outward sign of humility but it's the humility of heart you humble yourself and you worship God and they did and then we see in verse 28 then the children of Israel went away and did so just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron so they did please make note of that not only do they go oh I've been set free, we're free, we're leaving Egypt, and they bowed humility, they were humbled under God's presence and understanding of what he's doing, and they worshipped him, but they must do. Not just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word we know in the scripture. So, and we see right there in verse 28, they did so, and so they did. Does that speak to your life? Are you just hearers of the word? What do you do with what you're hearing today? Do you do something what God is directing you to do? In verse 29, And it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of livestock. So it didn't care who you are and where you are in the spectrum of society. You were struck if you didn't have blood on your doorposts and doing exactly what God told you to do and you were dwelling within that house. The destroyer was coming and would strike. And God told Moses that Pharaoh would not do this. If you remember back in Exodus 13, I mean Exodus 3 verse 19 and 20. He said this was going to happen. Pharaoh's heart would get to a point where it was so hard 
that would cause this plague to come about. To be able to get to him, to him a point where he would be broken enough to let go of his people. And not only let go of his people, but drive his people out. And it would take this plague for the hard-hearted Pharaoh to finally do it. And sure enough, he would come in and the firstborn we see. So that's what happened in verse 30. So Pharaoh rose in the night and he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt for there was not a house where there was not one dead. Take note of that. Take note that when Pharaoh got up, his firstborn was dead. Note that his closest servants, all of their firstborn was dead. But notice the word there also, all the Egyptians' households were also firstborn, were dead. Notice that. The key words in these verse, in these scripture here to take note of this. For there was not a house that did not experience death. And God had to bring and he would brought this great cry in Egypt. Remember, God's people cried out for deliverance. Do you remember that in the beginning of Exodus? And then they thought, okay, this is not working. Why don't we go to Pharaoh and we'll cry out and ask for relief because this extra work that was put upon them of making uh, the bricks without the help of getting the straw for them. Remember that the burden was so heavy. They went to Pharaoh and tried to talk you know, <laughs> You know, please relieve us of this pressure and pain and suffering of work as a, as a slave. And he wouldn't do it. He laughed him out, right? Again, they're crying out. But now God says, it's your turn to cry because I'm going to deliver my people from your bondage. Verse 31, then he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, and Pharaoh said, Arise and go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Also take your flocks and your herds as you have said and be gone and bless me also. <laughs> it's kind of a little weird ending on verse 32. But, you, but it's, it's not that far-fetched if you really think about your experience of working with people who are non-believers today. Right? So here's how it's playing out in the, in the scripture here. He calls Moses and Aaron very quickly. He says, he didn't sit there and negotiate. He didn't try to compromise anymore. He didn't say, okay, you men can go now. No. No, not you and your, your household can go. No, he didn't say that either. He didn't say, you can go just a few miles away from your home and, and, and worship there. No, he didn't do that one. Either. He already tried those. That didn't work. He even said, you can take you and your family and your barbecue and your, and, your, and your animals and get out of here and go exactly where you wanted to go, out to where you said. Which was what? Out there, about three days journey into the desert, remember? But he said at the very end, but bless me also. And I find, it's, it, coming back to memory, times where Someone knows who you are as a Christian at the work environment. And they'll come and they'll tell me, uh, Corey, I, so I had a family member die. They died of drug overdose. Or they died of this. Or 
they had a tragedy in their house of this or an accident, whatever it may be, something horrifying, and they come to you, they come to me and they say, will you please what? Pray. Will you please bless me and my family because we're going through a tremendous problem. Can you please ask for God's blessing to heal that person or provide that? They lost their house in a fire to bless them with another house. See, see what I'm saying? Do you see the connection? So there's nothing, nothing new. So it's not weird, but it does sound weird. But when you really think about it, he recognizes that God Almighty who just brought death could also now, he turns, he's humble enough to ask for blessing. He's asking for life to come back into this nation of, of Egypt. Didn't say he was a repenting heart. He just knows where the blessings come from because he recognized these people are tremendously blessed and are being sent out because they were spared death and were given deliverance. Amazing. Verse 33, and the Egyptians urged the people that they might send them out of the land of, in haste. There is a hasteness. The Egyptian people get out of here. For they, why? For they, they said, we shall all be dead. <laughs> they recognize the 10th plague. There's death. And if we don't get them out of here, we're all going to die. I mean, they've come to realize, don't mess with their God. And verse 34, so the people took their dough. Not their money. Yes, they did. They took their silver, their joy, their jewels. They took everything. But they took their dough also that was unleavened before it was leavened. And having their kneading bowls bound in their clothes on their shoulders, now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses. And they had asked for the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they granted them what they requested. Thus they, per they plundered the Egyptians." There they go. Just exactly what that God said was going to play out. His foreknowledge, he knew it all. But, you know, sometimes God even told them with the foreknowledge of what was going to take place. And they still had to go through it all and experience all. They weren't going to change uh, because they didn't have changed hearts in regards to the Egyptians. Now, sometimes, you know, as a, kind of coming back to memory here, it's, a, it's just like, I guess the same way where... Um, God arranges um, circumstances in our life where you and I must be obedient to that. Where God says, I need you to do this. I'm not sure I'm wanting to do that. Don't feel like, uh, you know, whatever reason. We just don't have the faith. We've been down that road before, whatever it may be. Not willing to give it up. But God arranges the circumstances in your life that causes you and I to come to a point of obedience. And normally, God, I'll give you an example. God may want, uh, um, speaks to your heart and says, you have to get rid of this friend of yours or friends. They are not helpful to you. They're not good for you. You are allowing them to have too much of a say in your life and they're ungodly workers, co-workers of yours. 
And so what happens is God will bring these circumstances to cause you to be obedient and say, okay, I've got to cut them out of my life. I've got to, they cannot speak into my life anymore in regards to things because they're causing, they're ungodly people. But what happens is God will get you to a point where you have nothing you can do and the man or you will find that his friends will actually leave you first. Sometimes if you're not willing to do it, God actually removes that person out of your life that's causing a problem. It's much better for you to be obedient than to God to have to come in and do the removing. Because it's much more painful in many respects. And then what happens in verse 37? The children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sakoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides children. If you remember Ramses, back in chapter 1, verse 11, that was one of the key strongholds that Pharaoh was providing provisions to. It was, one of, it was probably one of the largest concentration of the Jewish people is in that part of the Goshen Valley right there. They were to leave there and to go to Sakoth, and there were 600 men. Now, if I remember correctly, let me look it up here real quick, uh, 38, 26, there was actually 603,550 men. If you go back, as we get to chapter 38, you'll see. That's how many men were leaving that place, plus their wives, plus their children. That's why you can see a count for somewhere between 2 to 3 million people in an orderly fashion walking out of Egypt, out of Ramses, going to Sekka. A mixed multitude went up with them also. Very important to note, because this mixed multitude will be non-believers who will go out with the Jewish people who will cause tremendous problems later on while they're in the desert. Make note of that. And the flocks and herds and a great deal of livestock. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough which they had brought out of Egypt. For it was not leavened because they were driven out of Egypt and could not wait. Nor had they prepared provisions for themselves. So there they go. Them plus these others who said, you know, I think we should stick with these people. Because that's where all the blessings and all the provisions and everything. And I don't know if I want to stay here because the land's destitute. We've, the, there's mourning and crying everywhere. There's nothing very... I think we should stick with them because their God is much more powerful. Whatever caused that mixed multitude, because there were other slaves from other countries. Remember, when Egypt conquered, they brought slaves back. So they brought these multitudes that we're not sticking with the Egyptians. We're leaving with you. And now, verse 40, now the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, on the very same day, it came to pass all, that all the armies of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. So apparently, the exodus from Egypt began on the same calendar day as the 430th anniversary of Israel's time in Egypt. Now, I, I make that mention because it's remarkable as you study the scriptures, there's evidence where we see God often fulfills promises that he gives on the anniversaries of prior or prophesied events that we see in the scripture. 
And so God has a plan. He works that plan. He's promised to fulfill that plan. And it is amazing why, why people don't want to study the word of God and the whole counsel of God from, from, from Genesis to Revelation. I don't understand it. But not here. Not at Calvary Chapel because we love the word and we want the whole counsel of God. Amen? So verse 40, uh, where did I go? Yeah, verse 42. It is a night of solemn observance to the Lord for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. This is that night of the Lord, a solemn observance for all the children of Israel throughout their generations. Again, it's, it is something that the people should never forget from generation upon generation upon generation that God brought them out of Egypt. That phrase, out of Egypt, is showing you've been delivered out of your sin. You have been, that's your day of salvation. You're out of Egypt experience. And in the scriptures, we see it 56 times or more in the Bible after this point because God wanted to make sure they remember his deliverance of the, Egypt, the Israel people out of Egypt and, and, and set them free and to bring them into the promised land. Verse 43. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, there's instructions uh, some regulations, some boundaries around the Passover that God is going to give them. Look at the ordinances here. He says, this is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreign shall eat it, right? Because the mixed multitudes with them. They're not, they're not the, the Israelites. They're not Jewish people. So these mixed multitudes there, he's saying, when you do Passover every year after year after year, at the first month of the first year, the beginning of that religious calendar, don't let any foreigners do it. Because they're not part of you. Verse 44. But every man's servant who is bought for money, when you have, cir when you have, a, have circumcised, circumcised him, then he may eat it. Now, I recognize you're going to have people work for you as an employer, as a servant. As a, when they do, they have to be circumcised. They have to keep all of the covenant ordinances or covenant requirements of the circumcision to be able to take Passover. They had to be brought into the nation of Israel through that circumcision. And a so, verse 45, a sojourner and a hired servant shall not eat it. And in one house it shall be eaten. You shall not carry any of the flesh outside of the house, nor shall you break one of its bones. Make note of that. You cannot break a bone of that lamb. Make a note of that in the connection to Jesus here. We'll talk about that. Verse 47, all the congregation of Israel shall keep it. And when a stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then let him come near and keep it. And he shall be as a native of the land. For no uncircumcised person shall eat it. One law shall be for the native born and for the stranger who dwells among you. So God made it very clear. As you continue to go do this, not just anyone can do this. This promise is not for everyone, but only for those who are in the covenant.
And this Passover was as a commemorant of the family level. This is do not defile the family. When someone comes in, even if they're a servant or if they're dwelling, like a, a, someone who, you, you're, who are visiting, coming through, and you feel good for them to kind of house them for a little bit, and it's Passover, they cannot partake unless they've been circumcised. But note that none of the bones of the Passover lamb were to be broken. And this is the picture that we see and understand when it comes to Jesus, our ultimate Passover, because he is the ultimate Passover who was then crucified, but he was not, none of his bones were what? Broken. He's on the cross. The, the crucifixion was death of suff suff suffocation. The suffocation. Someone who could not breathe. Because when you're pinned up and your feet are pinned down, you had to lift yourself up with your legs to get a deep breath to be able to breathe. Eventually, you got so tired and so weak and loss of blood, you couldn't lift up and you suffocated. But remember, they were coming up to the Passover. They were coming to a point. The, 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 uh, uh, all crucifixions had to be ended before sundown, remember. So they came to the Two thieves, and what did they do? They took a club and they broke the shin bones of the thieves so that they did not have any power to push up to get a breath, which causes them to suffocate and die quickly. But when they came to our Lord, what happened? They did not break his shins. Why? Because they recognized that he had already gave up his spirit. In their eyes, he's already dead. But notice what they had to do, though, because as a Roman guard, if that person wasn't dead when you brought them dead down from the cross, guess what would happen to that Roman soldier? They would be the one crucified. So they took a spear and they did what? They thrust it into his side, and blood and water, indicating death, started coming out from his side. Our Lord was not. No bones were broken. And then we finalize here. Thus all the children of Israel did, as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And it came to pass on that very same day that the Lord brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt according to their armies. Organized, not chaos. Decent and orderly fashion, God brought and marched the army of the Israelites out of Egypt and going toward the promised land. The Passover. 